to a pastor in his newspaper, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hands. I am Dr. Castro, and it's wonderful to be uh, here with you and uh, to record this episode of this podcast. And I've gotten some really good feedback from some people and um, really encouraged and uh, looking forward to continue to talk about what's going on in the world. Some sad news uh, has happened recently with the earthquake in, in Turkey. And I know many people have passed away. Seven seven point eight on the Richter scale. Very, they're calling it a, a mega earthquake. And uh, Turkey's a fascinating country. And I was thinking about that on the on the way walking over here to, to record this. Um, I was had the opportunity to actually visit Istanbul, one of my all time favorite cities in the world. It's a beautiful place, fascinating place. But the the, just the the cr- clashing of European and Asia or European Asia um, at that one city, and just all the all the commerce that comes through there, all the um, the business that comes through that city. Um, as you have shipping, you have oil. It's a it's a fascinating country. But you know, Turkey is in a lot of ways has been a center of the world, uh, not just geographically. But also, um, you know, historically with the Roman Empire and Constantinople uh, becoming the eastern uh, major city of the Roman Empire after Constantine. And then after uh, the empire, you had the Ottoman Empire and its impact on the world, especially in the Middle East. Uh, But even recently in the 20th century, Turkey has attempted to be a modern uh, democratic nation, very much like the West, while at the same time it has that that Eastern influence, that um, kind of autocratic influence, and so it, it kind of goes back and forth. And you know, over in the more recent times, Turkey is probably more known for not being democratic and being more um, uh, having a strong uh, central central leader um, who has kind of collected all the power. And, um, and you see that going on in the world, uh, just the, um, where you just see people, um, giving a lot of way too much authority to one uh, particular leader. And mostly it, it has for Turkey, it, it really is rooted in religion, um, with, with Islam and, um, the influence that has and how it's so anti-pluralistic. Um, and, and so Turkey is a, is a fascinating country, beautiful country in a lot of ways. And, um, and again, we have to remind ourselves is that a lot of those letters that Paul writes, he's writing to, to cities in modern day Turkey. Um, and those churches don't exist anymore, but there is, there is churches in Turkey and there are, you know, are Christians and even though they're a minority group within the nation of Turkey, but they're still, you know, gathering and worshiping and, and trying to reach their, their people with the gospel. And we know we have missionaries there. Um, and I think, I believe we should continue to send missionaries to that, to that country, uh, to reach, uh, the Turkish people with the gospel. And so, uh, that's a, a sad story. I was, uh, these are kind of some preparatorial things I just wanted to get to, and then we'll get into our bigger story. But, um, I was reading recently about Mike Pence. He has a, a book out, a new book that just came out, um, called, so help me God. This is, this is common for 
uh, potential political candidates to basically um, put their book on the market, their story on the market, um, and for people to read and get an understanding of, 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 kind of their passions and values and their kind of life story. And actually, that was, um, I read a few in the 2016 election. I wrote, I read, um, um, Ted Cruz's book. I read John Kasich's book and uh, was very impressed by Ted Cruz through his story and through his book and ended up um, voting for him during the primary. And we actually gave some money to him as well and went to one of his rallies. But so these books do have help. I'll probably read this one and a few others uh, as we get closer to the election. But uh, I haven't read the book, but uh, just looking at some um, comments about it, it really, he, uh, Pike Pence focuses on his conservatism, that he is a is a conservative um, in the kind of Reagan, um, Newt Gingrich uh, type of uh, vein, but also telling the story about declining to follow Trump um, and his his protests of the election. And um, and, you know, Pence really did kind of stand in the gap by um, standing, standing up to, to President Trump that uh, his job was to, uh, as the vice president and the, also the, the leader of the, of the Senate, uh, to follow the Constitution. And, um, you know, that was, um, there were some very hateful things said about Mike Pence because he made that decision. And, um, you know, that it may probably have cost him ever being the president, but, uh, it seems like he's going to give it a try and, and run for president. Uh, you know, I think George, yeah, George HW Bush was the last vice president to win the presidential election after serving as a vice president. So, um, we'll see if enough years has passed. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been a, uh, a race in modern age where, uh, a vice president and then his, his president were running in the same primary. So it's very, very historic. But one of the other comments made about, um, kind of Mike Pence that kind of, uh, comes out of the book especially, but I think it's pretty common knowledge of, of, of people that have interacted with him of his, is his kindness. Um, if you don't know, Mike Pence was, uh, um, he's from Indiana. He, um, he was a congressman from Indiana for a long time and then was the governor of, of Indiana before he was vice president under uh, President Trump. And so P- Pence is, is kind of mocked for his, obviously, his, his vow that he would never, you know, eat a meal alone with a woman or these type of things, which, you know, Billy Graham said these type of things, but because uh, Pence is not a pastor, he's gotten, he gets mocked pretty often on SNL and other, other platforms for his, his purity, I guess, or I guess it's just not as maybe his purity, but, uh, his, his rules that protect him and protect his, his marriage. And I think they're very noble. I think we should celebrate people like Pence because we like to, to criticize and to trash and for good reasons, we like we, we need to criticize those who have been unfaithful uh, to, in their marriage, especially in uh, positions of leadership. Um, but yet, we can't also mock the one who stands and and draws lines to protect himself from from that temptation. So, uh, I think Pig Pence and I was I've always when I watched him in the the vice president debate 
uh, with Kamala Harris. I was very impressed with Mike Pence. He's, he's very, he's, you could tell he understands the issues. He's a very intelligent man, but he comes off as kind. He comes off as, as not uh, shaming or um, kind of arrogant. And so, uh, which is fascinating that he decided to be Trump's vice president. They're just such, so different. Um, and maybe we should celebrate Mike Pence more for being his vice president. And um, maybe he has a significant value that we don't even know about, or maybe we have yet to know about. Um, so interesting little nuggets I wanted to throw out there about that as, as, as the kind of campaign starts to really kind of get rolling with books being uh, published. And uh, so look forward to reading Mike Pence's book. So help me God, maybe you something you could read um, and um, get at the library or you can purchase the book and just kind of, you know, maybe Mike Pence will persuade you that uh, you'll support him in the um, upcoming uh, Republican um, uh, primary. If you are a Republican, listen to this. So, but the primary issue that I want to talk about uh, in this episode is actually Disney. Um, one of the reasons is, is because um, by th- this time tomorrow, I'll be heading towards Orlando to go to Disney World. My my in-laws um, are paying for uh, my family and my sister-in-law's family uh, to go to Disney World as one kind of big trip. And it was planned about two years ago. Um, and, um, we've been to Disney World a few times, went to Disneyland last, which was great. I really liked Disneyland, but, uh, so we're going to Disney World and Disney was actually in the news. It was one of the, the cover stories of the economist, um, a few weeks ago. And, uh, I wanted just to talk, I, I talked about them in the first season of, uh, a past, a pastor's newspaper. And I want to bring I want to come back to Disney because Disney really is, I would say, the cultural giant um, of the 20th century. I mean, they are the holders of so much um, artistic um, property. And obviously, we're not talking about art paintings that were common uh, in the Renaissance and and other times of before uh, our age and our time period. But uh, the really the artistic treasures of our culture are movies, our you know, television shows, they're video oriented art. And Disney is the one, I mean, it's the one that holds, um, and has been the ones that have created this, uh, visually has created this property. And we have, we have devoured it over many years and we go to the parks, we buy the merchandise. Uh, Disney is so much a part of our lives. And even, even more recently has it's bought more properties. It's just added more and more to things that we hold so dear. I mean, when I was a kid, star Wars, Indiana Jones were my two favorite things. Um, and I loved, those movies. I love the characters and, um, I was a, a big fan. I would watch the original, um, star Wars movies like every, I mean, just about every day. I remember when I got the trilogy, the VHS trilogy for Christmas when it came out and I was watching them every day. I would just watch new hope. I loved empire strikes back. I love the, uh, on indoor scene of return of the Jedi. And just, I just love star Wars. And now that Disney owns star Wars, you know, my love for star Wars is now connected to Disney. Uh, also now Indiana Jones is owned by Disney and they're actually going to make a new movie this year. 
Um, and so Disney is, I mean, it's now kind of in some ways bought my childhood and is repackaging it and selling new material, which is great. I, uh, really enjoy, and actually it was, I'm a big doctor who fan and now Disney plus is going to start, uh, helping produce new doctor who episodes. So like it's, it's buying a lot of the things that I enjoy. So Disney is a, a very much a part of the things that I enjoy watching, the stories that I enjoy um, watching. And my kids also are, you know, we, I just introduced them to mighty ducks. We watched the original two, first two ritual movies, which again, were Disney or Disney movies. Um, so Disney is even some of the old stuff from the nineties are becoming a part of, or introducing them to our, our kids because they were so important to us when we were, and I was a child. I mean, I was watching mighty Ducks two yesterday and I was telling my son Lincoln who's six. And this was like one of my favorite movies as a kid was mighty ducks too. Um, and, uh, the knuckle puck and, and King Thompson was, who's now, you know, been on SNL forever, uh, was the, the knuckle puck player and, uh, you know, Goldberg and Adam Banks and Charlie and Gordon bomb like, These are, I mean, these, these movies, um, are, are, are precious, you know? And, um, and so, I want to talk about Disney because really what Disney, where Disney is right now is actually in a decline. Um, there's, they're in a decline monetarily, but they're also in a decline creatively. There are the things that they have produced that are original have been just terrible. Um, they haven't done well. They just, you could tell like there is a massive hole when it comes to storytelling. So they're having to buy other properties um, that already has a story going for them to be able to kind of latch on to something. Marvel is another one that they've just kind of bought and just added to nothing original, nothing new. Um, and so you know, going, just providing a little bit of context and history. Um, Steamboat Willie was the first Disney, um, I guess video production. Uh, and it was in 1928, and it really is ever since then, Disney has been known for video content. Uh, currently, uh, Disney's market value is $180 billion. It is the largest entertainment company in the world. Um, in 2022, four of the 10 highest grossing films were Disney movies. And the, the biggest one was Avatar, the new Avatar movie, which I didn't like the original Avatar. I'm not seeing the second Avatar. I just... I don't particularly think it's a very interesting story at all. So them buying Avatar really wasn't didn't really move the meter for me. Um, but I know people like it because it's beautiful. It looks uh, remarkable. James Cameron is is um, he's a genius when it comes to of the technology that he uh, creates to make a movie. But the stories that uh, especially with Avatar is very shallow and I'm not a very, imp- I'm very impressed with the, with the story, but not only is Disney, uh, no, one of the highest grossing, they have, they produce one of the highest grossing films every year, but now they have the largest streaming service. So Disney plus, um, even though Netflix has been streaming for a lot longer, Disney plus has quickly caught up to Netflix. However, and we're going to get to this, even though they have uh, a ton of customers to Disney plus, they're losing a billion dollars a quarter with Disney plus. So, um, and actually I think as of recently, they're losing $1.5 billion per quarter. So you're talking about over close to five. Well, that would be what 
yeah, $6 billion a year off Disney plus. Um, and really their, their strategy with Disney plus is growth, not profit. So they're trying to get as many customers to catch up to Netflix to, but there's so much competition now with streaming. You've got, um, and Disney owns Hulu and I think they own Paramount. Um, but they have so much competition. You have Amazon. Amazon has a lot of money. It's a it's a large company. It has very diverse company, and so streaming is a part of their portfolio. And so they have plenty of cash to make to to start new shows. And actually, some of the Amazon shows are some of my favorite. I'm a big Grand Tour fan because these the Top Gear guys, but also the 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 uh, Jack Ryan show has been fantastic uh, as a fan of the Tom Clancy stories. So they've produced some good stuff and people, you know, they, they like some of the stuff that Amazon does, but the, you know, you have Netflix also, who, you know, again, they're a big player in the streaming world, but also you have YouTube. Well, I guess you have Apple. So Apple, I mean, you have a Silicon Valley company, you have a, a tech company, um, it produces computers and I mean, I'm using an Apple computer to do this podcast. I'm using an iPad to look at my notes. I have an iPhone. They also have streaming. So there's another competitor in this market, um, for streaming customers. So Disney is in a fight to continue to get growth and to continue to get growth. They have to produce more shows, but they're keeping the price fairly low to continue to, to grow their customer base. Um, and so they're not making any money, actually losing a lot of money because of streaming. And look at the Mandalorian. Mandalorian is a fantastic show. I mean, it is the, I think the best star Wars content made since the original, uh, Oh, I would say since the clone war cartoon, but especially when it comes to live action, since the originals, I mean, it is so good. You know, that costs a ton of money to produce and they're coming up with a new season and they continue to grow with the, where they had the Boba Fett show. They had the Obi-Wan show. They have a Soka show coming up. And so they're continuing to, to expand, um, this, this, um, star, their star Wars content, but it's all very expensive to make. So they're not making any money. They're losing a lot of money. Um, you know, so they're, they're yet, they're still following the Walt Disney strategy from the 1950s. You know, um, the empire that Walt Disney created was based off a strategy of, of basically having these parks, these, these theme parks, which then would plug the movies. So you would have the castle and you would have these rides and they would encourage people to, um, to watch the movies, to go to the movie theater, to see their new movies. Um, and so the parks and the movies somewhat are, um, a a strategy of, of plugging using the parks to plug the movies. Uh, the television shows were always to plug merchandise. So you would have shows and then you could go and you could, you could buy the merchandise for the show or for the movie at the park. And so it was this combination of using content or video content movies and then television shows to sell merchandise. And then the park was a way of promoting these things. Uh, as of today, you can go to Disney world. You can go to uh, Hollywood Disney, I guess what it's called now. Um, and you can ride then you can get, you can see a mock-up. Oh, actually you can take a, you can do a ride of the millennium Falcon. Right. And when you get off that ride, you've now just basically had this experience 
like the like the television show, the movie, and then you can go to the store and then you can buy a Baby Yoda for twenty five bucks because you think the Baby Yoda is, is cute from the TV show. So you see the see the 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 ride is plugging the movies, and then the and the television shows are plugging the merchandise. And if you've not been to to, to Galaxy Far Far Away, the new kind of like Star Wars. Uh, um, I guess they call it like a, and uh, there's a terminology they use that that's kind of escaping me right now. Um, but, um, that, that world, that area of the park, um, they're, they are plugging star. They're plugging their TV shows with the merchandise. Um, they, baby Yoda is everywhere. Um, it is, a, it is a, um, it is a mark, mark and merchandise, uh, uh, genius merchandise strategy with, especially with baby Yoda, uh, and using the show to sell merchandise. Um, so, but Disney has really built their empire. Mostly you have the movies, but the, the television shows and they own CNN, ABC news. They've owned, they owned, uh, ESPN, um, and they own the Disney Channel and all these other channels that they used to have with uh, cable, and they made so much money um, off of of TV and cable uh, packages. And this was actually one of the major parts of their of their uh, revenue base was with cable packages. Um, ESPN is a huge amount of a huge money maker for Disney. Um, and I think at one time it was probably the the biggest biggest pie of their revenue base was that what they got from cable packages, um, and just all the ad money that they would get from those channels. You think of ESPN especially. Uh, ESPN is one of the most watched cable ch- uh, channels of all. I mean, when you think of cable, you buy cable so you can have ESPN. Um, because there's a lot of men who they love sports. They want access to, uh, their, t- their sports events. They want access to football. And so they buy cable packages. So, and then Disney owns all these, these, these ESPN channels. Um, and there's plenty of marketing money that is, um, advertisement money that they gain from, um, from these channels. And so Disney, I mean, for a long time, this is how they made their money. This is how they were able to rise to the, the, to the corporation that they are. Um, but currently, because of YouTube, because of streaming services, people are pulling the plug. They're cutting cable. Um, and that's caused a 5% drop in quarterly revenue from its TV business. And that's going to continue to go down and continue to decline. Therefore, And also, with a decline in viewership, on their TV channels, there's also a decline in advertisement, which is then less money for Disney. And again, they, they're, they're losing money in some of these sectors that were very, uh, they were kind of cash cows for them for a long time. While at the same time, they're burning and spending so much money on streaming to end this market share race um, to keep up with Netflix, Amazon, and Apple. And so... Wall Street, a lot of these these investors in Disney are wanting them to move from a growth to profit uh, strategy. They want them to start to be more profitable. They're losing a lot of money. Uh, Currently, Disney has about $39 billion in debt. Most of this is because they bought Star Wars. They bought uh, Marvel. But mostly they bought uh, uh, 20th Century Fox. and so they they bought all these this all this property, 
and and now uh, they've got a lot of debt, and they're not. And they continue to have to spend more and more money to produce growth, and they're not profitable. So Wall Street, the investors want to actually see some profits so they can actually make money off their investment. Um, and other areas where Disney is just seeing a continual decline. So in 2022, again, they had the full, had four of the top 10 highest grossing films. However, the uh, cinema business is at a 65%, it's at a 65% pre-pandemic level uh, in 2022. So there's basically 35% of the business that movies were getting in 2019 has not come back um, to the theater. And also one of the issues is that when, so when uh, Avengers Endgame, this is one of the largest movies, uh, grossing movies of all time. This is the, the last of the, um, this was the second part to the infinity war um, with Avengers. Um, and so when that movie came out in 2019, it made you know billions and billions of dollars. A quarter of the revenue from that movie came from China. Well, China has obviously had a very um, far more stringent um, uh, COVID um, procedures and and laws uh, and guidelines, and so. Um, Black Panther's Wakanda Forever was the first movie in three and a half years that was shown in China. Hence why a lot of those Marvel movies that have been a huge moneymaker for Disney for the last several years, they haven't made as much money because China is a major part of their business uh, with those movies and they haven't been able to show a movie in China in three and a half years. So China and its issues with COVID and also just uh, COVID in general has caused, uh, has really, um, um, affected Disney in their, in their movie, um, and the movie profits. And when we, so one of the issues that Disney has and with all this is, you know, again, they're, they're content makers. They make content, they make entertainment, they, they make video content that we then watch either on in, in the movie theater or on our, you know, on Disney plus. Well, when we think about iconic, movies and iconic stories. They're connected to the movie theater. You think of star Wars. When I got to see, um, the Phantom Menace it was my first star Wars movie that I got to see like in the movie theater, the difference between watching it on a VHS tape or watching it on a DVD, you know, there, those iconic movies are meant to be watched in the theater. You don't have those iconic memories and, and moments with sitting at home on your couch, watching it on your TV or watching it on your iPod or on your phone. Uh, the other movie, Dune. Dune was a movie that I saw in the theaters. I don't watch a lot of movies in the theaters anymore. That's one of the problems that Disney has is very few people are going to the movie theaters anymore. Um, and they, they will go maybe go see like a Marvel movie or Star Wars movie, but they're picking, choosing what movies they go to the movie theater. But Dune was one of those movies. I wasn't familiar with the story. And I had a friend tell me, you've got to go see it in the theater. Like you can't watch it um, at home. Like you've got to watch it in the theater. So we went to the theater to watch it and he was right. The cinematography was beautiful. Um, and I, it was really a, it was a movie that I kind of fell in love with mostly because I saw it in the theater. I think if I had watched it at home, I don't know if I would have had the same love for that movie that I did because I watched it in the theater. Uh, we think about Christopher Nolan. I still remember seeing Dunkirk 
uh, on IMAX with a friend in Louisville. And I remember getting goosebumps during many of those scenes because it was so intense. And ever since I've seen that movie, I enjoy the movie a lot, but I've never had that same feeling watching it at home on like a 50 inch screen. Uh, even though I have the movie like on Blu-ray, it, it's just not the same as it is watching it in the theater. So, you know, Christopher Nolan movies are like meant to be watched in the theater. He definitely crafts his movies to be watched in the theater. And that's one of the reasons why he's, he's had some issues with Warner brothers. who wants to just push the streaming perspective because it, it does now to get people to go to the theater. It takes more marketing money and more advertising money to get people to go to the theater. Um, and so when you, if your focus is on streaming and getting just direct to consumer and not using the theater to get your content, there is, it's hard to have those iconic cultural movies if people aren't watching it in a dark room uh, in a theater amongst other people. And so that is, it's one of the issues that Disney's having um, is that it's hard to create new cultural icons. It's hard to create those things if people aren't watching them in the theater and they're watching them at home. They just kind of go through content, uh, kind of like junk food, and they don't really cherish it no, that you get with the theater. And so that's one of the issues that they're going to have is how to capture that that imagination with with consumers with people uh and they're watching it in the theater and not just devouring content after content in the in the in the on the stream because it's very difficult to create that fandom that obsession you know uh, fans of star wars I mean, they have these 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 memories of watching them in the theater um and do you create new franchises with a streaming priority or streaming strategy. I don't know if you, if you do, um, one kind of bright spot for Disney is their parks. Uh, they made $7.9 billion this past year on the park, 16 more, 16% more than before the pandemic. So obviously people are, are, and I think what their strategy has been is more of a less growth, more, more profit. Uh, they got rid of some of the, like the bus service from the airport to the resort. Um, they've gotten rid of the, some of the, the fast passes that you have to purchase these fast passes. Um, so this is a way that they're trying to f- kind of fill in some, some areas of uh, lack of profit by making the parks more profitable and, and, and dropping costs a bit. But it's the issue though, that again, Disney is wanting to, with their parks are wanting to create these, these great memories for families, right? Um, that families are able to, to basically have fun. I mean, the parks are a fun business. It's a way for people, for families to have these, these great moments of, of fun and unity. Um, but when you have to pay and you kind of create a somewhat of a class system, uh, well, we, our parents had to, were able to pay for all of us to have the fast passes, but this family is, is struggling just to get them to Disney world. And so they don't have enough more money to buy these other things. It creates this system of, and one executive for Disney said this, this is really interesting. He says, when parents bring their kids to Disney, parents have to be the hero for the visit to be successful. And, and I thought about that a lot. I think for the, for the American family, being able to take their fam- their kids to Disney World is seen as a, a marker of success. Um, that they were able to make enough money to bring their kids to an iconic place. I mean, the Disney World trip, 
Um, for many families, that's one trip. That's one trip in a lifetime that they take, and 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 they you know, spend a lot of money. They get the res- they get they they get that nice resort, um, and they do the four parks, and they get the the, the ears and everything, and they're supposed to have this in some way perfect experience. But now, with this new kind of cost system, some parents are seen as the heroes because they were able to purchase the fast passes and the extra things. And these parents don't have another, they're strapping this to get the kids down there. And, and so some families, some parents may seem like they have actually lost in comparison to other families because they just weren't able to spend the extra little bit of money, uh, to get them the extra thing, the extra experience, the, 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 the more, uh, expedient experience. And so Disney has that problem going on as well, um, under the surface, um, and so Disney's in this is in a in a in a crossroad. They just fired uh, their former uh, executive, and Bob Eager uh, Iger has come back for two years to kind of get the the company back in a stable ground. Uh, but now Disney's also in, in a political distraction, a political uh, crisis as well. Their um, their um, public criticism of the of Ron DeSantis is uh, don't say gay law created an issue where governor DeSantis abolished their special business district, kind of this tax haven that they've been able to carry on for 50 plus years. The law is supposed to go in effect in June. And, and what is that going to look like for them if they have to pay taxes on their massive property? And that's an issue they're having to, to deal with. They're going to have to deal with in the middle of the kind of their prime, uh, their prime season. How's that going to affect their, revenue when it comes to the to the parks and the resorts and these other things that they've been able to make as we've said 7.9 billion dollars another issue with disney is this intellectual property what are they creating that's new and exciting and good um you know television in a recent uh, survey generation z said television was one of their least, one of the least important things to them from an entertainment standpoint, video games was actually number one. Disney doesn't have any, any money, any business, uh, interest in, in video games. They've licensed away a lot of their, a lot of their property for other companies to make. Um, electric arts has, has their market share is $34 billion are looking for a buyer. Does Disney buy one of these video game companies and start actually producing video games? You know, star Wars has been a huge video game, um, um, property. I mean, they, I, I've been playing with my son, one of the star Wars shows, the fallen order. There's been other stories. I mean, I was a big fan of the first uh, Battlefront game for Xbox uh, and the original Xbox and thought that was such a fun game. And they made a second one, which was just as fun. And so Star Wars has been a great video game platform. And there's, of course, there's there's other, I guess, Marvel. I've never been much of a Marvel. But, you know, does Disney get into the video game business? Do they start making video games in-house? They obviously have enough money to be able to to produce these games, but a way another way for them to to build and and and, prov- and and build and actually make some new intellectual property um another issue so it really disney has got has got battles on a lot of different fronts you've got china is another front you know with china's issues and their COVID issues but also just their their political issues and their and their the way that they are as a nation and the human rights issues you know, a lot of disney's 
profits or a lot of Disney's revenue comes from China and, and selling their their video content in China. Like I said before, in-game, a quarter of its revenue came from China. How do they navigate the political landscape of China? How do they deal with Silicon Valley? There's a lot of players um, in this market. You have Apple throwing a lot of money at it. Amazon's throwing a lot of money at it. Netflix is still there. Um, and and so you've got some two big giants in the in the in in the business world. I mean, Apple and, 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 and Amazon are a trillion dollar corporations. They have a lot of money to burn. They're already in the, in the Amazon's bought, uh, rights into, into football. They're, they're showing a Thursday night foot, NFL football game. Um, and Apple, you know, is going to get into that sports business as well. I mean, Disney has kind of owned the sports, um, uh, market and now you've, they've got some competitors, how do they navigate with that? They're going to have to spend a lot of money to keep up with growth. And do they have the money to keep up with those two major corporations? But the other is just, I think I want to talk a little bit, a little bit more here is just the, the, the wokeness or the liberal agenda of Disney. Um, it's lost the kind of family value, um, characteristics that I think it once had. Um, it's now being more, it's more known for telling stories with a liberal agenda, a critical race theory agenda, a, um, identity politics agenda. Um, it, you know, one, uh, executive or individual within Disney said that they are in the business of, of telling queer stories, telling LGBTQ stories, uh, having gender non-conforming characters. One of the examples is a, one of the recent movies is called uh, Strange World. Uh, I never saw this movie. Um, I know very little about it. it was, I was not interested in seeing it. It came out in the movie theaters. It was on Disney+. Plus. It didn't do well in the box office, similar to the, the Buzz Lightyear movie. Um, it, 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 it was one of the issues with both of these movies, and I'm just going to spend most of my time talking about Strange World, um, it, it presented a world where it could fill that world with a liberal agenda. Um, two characters in the story, the main character uh, is openly gay. Um, and there's actually a flirtatious relationship between two of the characters in the story. Uh, that relationship is actually encouraged by the parents and the grandparents it's being presented as a normal romantic relationship to children. And again, we're going back to what I was saying earlier with Ron DeSantis and the Florida law. But don't, um, um, I'm trying to go back to, to remember the, the, the actual name of the law. Uh, don't say gay law. Don't, don't say gay law. Um, and so you have this, this is the stories that they're choosing to tell. Actually, one, uh, uh, this is not a, a Christian um, um, review of the movie. This is Julian Romans and MovieWeb said in the first sentence of the review is that that seemed like with Strange World, Disney was trying to earn the diversity badge. Like that was its primary purpose is to advance a political agenda, to almost advance inclusion, inclusion and to advance diversity with without any real care for any type of storytelling. Um, it's really just to present an animated world and just fill it with 
an agenda. And it just shows kind of where Disney are. Disney is. They are at a, at a creative point where there's they're they are very poor in their creative um, um, ability. And we go back, just look at Disney over the over like a long period of time. You think about Peter Pan. I love the original Peter Pan movie. I would say if you think about, um, I mean, hook was great with Robin Williams, but when you think about Peter Pan stories, and they've made many of them. The best one is the animated Disney movie from the fifties. It's, it's fantastic. It's great. Um, and one of the things that that story tells is actually, um, that family structure and the rules of the family are important for kids. You look at the lost boys, you look at when Wendy and, and John and, and Michael and they come to Neverland and they go back, they realize that structure is good for them. It's important. It's for their own well-being, not expressive individualism or complete independence, but actually structure is good. It's helpful. It's proper. It's God given. And actually Peter Pan tells that story, beauty and the beast and just the, you have the, 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 just the, the, the amazing story of, of not only accepting um, and loving someone, um, not based on what they look like, but their own, their heart. But even the sacrifice that Belle makes um, for the beast and, and, um, and it, it does speak of that sacrificial love that that story tells. And it's, it's a story that is, that's that its primary purpose isn't to just push agenda, but it tells a beautiful, um, um, truthful story through a beautiful and creative world. Uh, Mary Poppins is another great story. I mean, it, it's anti, it's actually somewhat anti-capitalistic. It's anti, it's anti-modernism because the family is more important, you know, business and profits and corporations are not more important than the family. And it's important for uh, the father to recognize that he is a man that has abandoned his family, abandoned his children, orphaned his children, and he needed to be the primary uh, carer and, and, and protector and father for his children. He needed to raise his children, not, not a nanny. And Mary Poppins tells that story. And I love Mary Poppins and I actually even, even enjoyed the newest one, but there's so many great stories that Disney once told. They told beautiful truth through their stories that they have totally abandoned. Um, and that's where I want to end. I want to, I want to talk about, this was in the, a table talk, um, um, uh, volume of table talk by Ligonier Ministries this past month, um, about, um, Jay Christian Macon in his book, Christianity and Liberalism, uh, that he wrote in the 20s. Um, and, and especially in, you know, the, the church throughout history has is a senseless struggle to maintain the truth. You saw that during the Reformation. You saw that especially during the modern age of the turn of the 20th century. Um, in, in the 1920s in America, while uh, we did go to war in the World War One, War it was it didn't really affect us in the sense that it happened in Europe. It was a European war. We assisted what we were not, we were not affected like we were in World War II. And so the twenties in America was a time of kind of this innocence, innocence and a rejection of God, a dismissal of religion. It was a, a kind of a godless decade. 
uh, and that come at, came out of that that age was liberalism uh, in Christianity, and that a complete rejection of God or a dismissal of a religion, but a rejection of the authority of Scripture. Uh, seeing human goodness and, and human potential, rejecting the supernatural, rejecting the need for God, seeing, seeing God as God of love and a God of acceptance, but not a God of authority, not a, God, a Lord, not a God who has um, uh, command over our lives, not a God who's revealed himself clearly through his word, not a God who um, is actually a jealous God that uh, while he is a God of love, he's a jealous God who deserves our, our worship and our praise because he's our creator and Lord. Jesus is a good man, a good teacher, but he's not God. The cross is his symbol of love and sacrifice. It is not uh, a symbol of God's wrath and God's atonement and God's actual reaction to our sin but putting his son on the cross and pouring his wrath upon the cross for our salvation. The cross is a symbol of, of also of Christ's substitute, that Christ was bared our wrath. And only through Christ and only through the cross do we have salvation. The, for, the, for the liberals, the future kingdom is inclusive. Not inclusive in the way we think about race and tongues and and languages and nations like we see in revelation, but inclusive meaning all people of all religions of all faiths of all philosophies and beliefs and ideas and decisions and choices and lifestyles kind of getting what I'm trying to say here. Social justice is a new great commission, not bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth and sharing the gospel and making disciples and teaching all that Christ commanded no, it's social justice. It's righting wrongs. It's um, protecting the environment and, um, and and doing other things in regards to equality and, and fair fairness and not about bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Ned Stone, Stonehouse called Gresham Makem the valent for truth. He was a fighter for truth. And his book, Christianity and Liberalism, I think is more relevant today than it was even in 1923 when it was written. He wrote that liberalism is a false gospel. Christian liberalism is a false gospel. And what Disney is trying to do, what the, what the culture is trying to do from a video content standpoint is to push a false gospel. And we get into the idea of wokeism, and that's a term, term that is very... Um, Jews kind of all over the place. It's used as a kind of a, a negative term, ideology and other issues. In 2017, three University of Miami researchers have find the term as critical consciousness to intersecting systems of oppression. In 2017, the Oxford English Dictionary added woke to its collection with the definition alert to racial or social discrimination and injustice. Uh, Webster identifies it as a U.S. slang meaning aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially of racial and social justice. Some liberals still, liberals still refer to activists who emphasize so, 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 systematic injustice and political concerns as WOPE, but less so as conservatives have turned the word into a pejorative, pejorative, pejorative term. So wokeness is a term that... It's kind of been thrown around everywhere, 
but I think what you see going on with Disney is that they have um, fallen into this um, this push um, to create woke content, um, a way to uh, alert the customers, alert the consumers um, to be aware of an important social issues, um, identity issues, and hence the movie Strange World, um, and others to follow, most likely. And what ultimately you see happening is pushing a, again, a kingdom mindset that if we accept everyone, if we accept all lifestyles and, and ideologies, um, that will lead to a, a utopian future. And, and so you normalize relationships, homosexual relationships, you normalize them to children because then children are taught that these are normal. These are okay. These are good. These are actually should be celebrated. And if you accept that ideology, if you accept that belief, it will give you, um, it will transform you. It will make you a better person. That is a false gospel. That is not good news. And using passage of scripture here, it's offering a snake over a fish. When a child asks for bread, you give him a stone. You are, you are showing them a false hope. Uh, you're, you're, you're telling a story that has no hope ultimately. Um, you know, think about John 17, 17 passage, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is true. And, and in God's word, we see diversity, right? We see the importance of caring for the sojourners, caring for the refugees, caring for widows and orphans, caring for, for those that are overlooked. We see, um, we see passages after passages and, and, and stories after stories and commands after commands to seek out and to love and to care. Um, but the ultimate issue though, is that God's word is true. So to say that diversity comes from something outside of God's word, or to say that uh, this is the truth, that this is the gospel is to believe in our form of truth. That's how you have the good life is a lie and a deception. And that's what Disney is selling to children. And I think that's where I think Disney's biggest problem is that it is forsaken truthful stories, stories of heroism and, and sacrifice for the sake of others. I mean, think of Star Wars and Luke Skywalker, who is told by Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi not to go to find, to go seek and help his friends um, when they are, when he knows that they are a threat, uh, being threatened by, by the Empire and by Darth Vader and by the Emperor. And so he goes, even though he, they tell him not to go for his sake for the sake of, of, of him, he, he, they tell him not to go, but he goes anyway, he sacrifices himself. He goes. And I think that's the story that is truthful. We want people to, to recognize that others are more important than yourself. 
We want people to sacrifice for their, for the, for the love. We want people to, we want to celebrate families because families, the, the mom and the father, the mom and the dad and, and the structure of the family, not only is it God giving, not only is it biblical, but it's healthy for children and to sell something else, to celebrate something else. You know, unfortunately I watched the new Mighty Ducks TV show. Again, this is new Disney product. And one of the characters, one of the main characters in the story has two moms and it's normalized. He has two moms and one of the characters is, is, is very effeminate in the way that he talks and the way that he acts. But it's like, what are you doing? Why are you selling this? Why are you selling this as a normal thing when it's against God's uh, authority? It's against God's order and his structure and his desires And that doesn't lead to truth. It doesn't lead to sanctification. It doesn't lead to the good life. And only God's word leads to good life. And so we have to be careful. Um, Again, you seeing the, as I talked about with the United Methodist Church, you're actually seeing also with Disney, their, their decline goes ultimately, I think, back to their rejection of good storytelling and pushing certain liberal agendas um, that I think that, that I think people are rejecting. And I think if they continue to do this, they'll continue to decline as a, as a company. They'll continue to be rejected. People will go to the park less. People will, will cut their Disney plus subscription and they'll continue to lose money. They'll have more uh, cus, uh, uh, competition in the market, continue just to take piece by piece away from them. And they will uh, go the way of General Electric and other great corporations that have just declined and and failed and then eventually gotten sold off part by part. So um, that's, again, a long, a long episode here about Disney. Um, as I go down to Disney after I've, I'm shooting, uh, firing shots uh, about them. So, again, we... We have to be careful. We have to watch these things and we need to teach our children uh, according to God's word and not allow Disney to be the disciples of our kids. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. Continue to read uh, the news with the Bible in your hand. This has been uh, a pastor's newspaper with Dr. Castro and I will see you not next week, but uh, I'll have a new episode in two weeks. As I get ready for the men's retreat, our trendsetters men's retreat is coming up here at Central Church. Um, if you're listening to this and you're a, a, a man, please register. Go to our Central Church website, please. We have a guy coming from Delaware. We have a guy coming from Florida, Indiana, uh, Mississippi. We have some guys coming from different states. Hey, come on. We would love to have you uh, come and, and, and be a part of the trendsetters men's retreat with us on February 24th and 25th. Uh, our guest speaker is Rusty McKee of Steadfast Ministries. Our worship leader is Robert Hudson of Proper Hip Hop. Looking forward to, to that. He's a dear friend of mine. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, would love for you to register. We're actually having a pre-retreat car show starting at 2.30 here at Central Church. If you're a lady listening to this right now, thank you for listening. Get your man. Register him. Just register him. Pack his bag for him and send him out the door. Uh, it actually will be here at Central Church. You can sleep in your own beds, which is fantastic. And so uh, you ladies, please sign up your husband. Would love to have them. Our goal is to have about 125 men. We're about 50 men short. So we got some work to do this coming week. So sign up for us. We'd love to get to our goal and have a wonderful weekend together. And so have a wonderful day. Enjoy your weekend. And we'll be back very, very soon. Thank you.